0: This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker, we have Adrian Duzgalski, co-founder and CTO at Radius Intelligence that raised $107.6 million and was recently acquired by Cabbage. And currently, Adrian works as a VP of engineering at Airtm that raised $9.7 million up to date. So in this episode, we'll talk about surviving the crisis because Adrian went through a couple of them, and we'll also talk about fundraising and the purpose of uh, Chief Technology Officers in this process. So Adrian, let's kick off by you giving us a background on yourself and on Radius Intelligence. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. really appreciate it.
1: Um, so uh, yeah, just a little bit about myself, I guess, is a little bit of an introduction. Um, uh, I uh, went to UC Berkeley, uh, studied electrical engineering, computer science and mechanical engineering. Um uh after I graduated I ended up meeting with uh, uh two other co-founders and the three of us founded uh what eventually became Radius uh Intelligence. We uh we originally started out and this is around the 2008 2009 uh period right when uh, mm-hmm. the financial crisis was happening. Um we started a company called Fwix and FWIX was a consumer internet brand uh, specifically around, focused on location-based services. Around 2012, we pivoted to uh, Radius Intelligence. Um, and in 2019, Radius Intelligence was acquired by Cabbage. Um, and uh, and uh, around, uh, around that time, I, uh, I decided to join a, f- a financial tech startup called AirTN. Uh, And so I'm there uh, as the VP of engineering.
0: That's great background. And let's start with your first company, which is Radius Intelligence. And let's talk about the topic that's very um, painful for most entrepreneurs right now, the crisis, the COVID-19 that's basically killing uh, most of the fundraising campaigns that I see. And how did you survive? Back in 2008, it was even worse. The financial crisis was even worse. But, how did you manage to get through this crisis so you basically started a company during that horrible crisis how How do you feel and what do you think is the major difference between the crisis back then and now
1: totally i'm you know I'm glad that uh that you mentioned that last point uh These two crises are are very, very, very different uh they couldn't be more different um, <laughs> so talking a little bit about uh you know my experience in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, you know uh, luckily now um, uh, we're uh, relatively well capitalized there at TM so fundraising isn 't uh, so much of an issue for us um, in two thousand eight and two thousand and nine yeah, we were in the in the process of fundraising for radius intelligence, but luckily enough, um, you know I have to say that uh, we were relatively, uh, uh, immune to the, to the financial crisis that was happening. You know, it was obviously very focused on real estate, very focused on banking. Um, but because of the successes that had been seen from, uh, you know, social media like Facebook at the time, 2008, 2009, the, you know, the iPhone was coming out. The iPhone was really, really hot and people mm-hmm. were really looking at to that next thing, that next, uh, that next, uh, that next growth um, piece, and that was really around location-based services. So if you recall, companies like Foursquare, there was another company called Gowalla at the time that was really, really huge. You know, people were really coming off that huge wave of social. They were like, oh, my God, I'm going to have this iPhone. Android Mm -hmm. is out. Uh, uh, What's going to be that next big thing? And and location-based services were there. So given that um, we raised money with, you know, relative ease, I, I always, I still feel guilty about it, you know, seeing all the people, uh, you know, in the news and uh, that were, ha- were really, really struggling. Um, right. But luckily we were, we were relatively immune to that. I think, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, that isn't the case in, in today's environment, unfortunately. I think uh, 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 the crisis that we're facing uh, today is, you know, is, is pretty unprecedented so Mm -hmm. that's
0: true and i said that the financial crisis of 2008 was much worse which i believe in as an economist but in terms of startup world probably 2008 hit the startup world even less than absolutely
1: yeah i totally agree with you uh on on that um i uh you know the way that i think about it is that uh yeah you're absolutely right it's that right now in our current crisis our uh our banks are fine. We don't have like mm-hmm. a fundamental, uh, uh, you know, ba- banking crisis. So in that case, yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, I think it's arguable, and also there's still a lot of room to to see what happens.
0: True. I hope that this crisis will not spin out of control, I and so, we will get through this pretty quickly. But what's your advice to people who are starting their companies right now and want to fundraise? So maybe some people who can't bootstrap it's fine they are fine you know don't worry about them what's your advice to those people who just need money right now to survive basically and to get their companies on their feet
1: well first of all don't give up um that would be my first piece of advice and i think that is uh that that piece of advice holds even when there isn't a a pandemic uh raging around the world Mm -hmm. um you know uh despite what you said, you know, one piece of advice is I, and I think that entrepreneurs still suffer from this today and it's something that took me, you know, a long time to learn is that bootstrap for as long as possible. A lot of times, you know, it's very attractive to raise money, but mm-hmm. you know, especially in internet where you can build amazing products and get, uh, uh, incredible reach, uh, th- you know, through the internet. Um, uh, being able to bootstrap in very creative ways as long as possible and not having to, to reach out for money is, is, um, is, is still my, my number one piece of advice to, to, to starting
0: entrepreneurs. True. Bootstrapping is definitely an option, but just FYI, there are multiple ways of raising money without really giving out equities. So mm-hmm. if you're curious how that can work, check out the alternative sources of capital in the fundraisingradio.com. There are plenty of cool stuff there, but let's talk about the fundraising process for, uh, raise intelligence. You raised $107.6 million. That's a very, very impressive amount of money. What was your role as a chief technology officer in that process?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, my role was mainly around demonstrating the technology, uh, uh basically anything that had to do with the technology. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, growing the team, uh, introducing key members of the team to the board, uh, and to, you know, uh, uh, potential, um, uh, you know, investors, Mm -hmm. um, things of that nature.
0: That's pretty clear and interesting. But what was your role, for example, when you were making your initial pitches to the first uh, investors who just agreed to meet with you once, you know, what was your role there? Were you actually part of the presentation? Did you uh, jump in the conversation when the, the conversation shifted towards the technology part or was it just the CEO who was doing the whole pitch?
1: You know, it was mainly, uh, I guess, in all honesty, it was ma- a lot of it really came down to the CEO. Um, you know, my, my co-founder, uh, Darian, uh, just, an uh, absolute incredibly, incredible C, uh, CEO. And, uh, uh, he was basically painting the, uh, picture, painting the vision around what we wanted to build. And, um, my role in that was to basically provide the supporting evidence and kind of demonstrate the proofs of concepts and all of the prototypes that really supported that vision around what, what we were doing at the time which was uh, a location-based services application and kind of a location-based services platform.
0: That's great and clear as well. Love your short and on point answers. We'll move on through this quickly. (laughs) Thanks for that. But let's talk about your PhD. So first of all, for those people who did not check Adrian's background before the interview like I did, Adrian has a PhD in, in... mechanical engineering, right?
1: Well, let me uh, let me just clarify that. I don't want to be uh, the, um, misleading anyway. LinkedIn doesn't do a very good job of presenting <laughs> it, but I was actually, uh, I finished my undergraduate degree and I was about to start a PhD in electrical engineering and computer mm-hmm. science. And I think the key phrase there was, is, was about to start. Um, I was in the PhD program for a very small amount of time. During uh-huh. that period of like about to start my PhD, That is actually when I got introduced to my co-founders through um, kind of very, I wouldn't say bizarre circumstances, but very, uh, uh, you know, weird circumstances. Uh, And so we really uh, hit it off, really clicked, um, really connected over the idea, the vision, the potential. And I put off my PhD program for a year. And then after a year, I put off my PhD program for another year. (laughs) <laughs> and finally after 3 years they told me hey Adrian we have to give your spot to somebody else. Um, so I um I uh you know eventually left the the PhD program and decided that uh I would rather be an entrepreneur than an academic than an academic.
0: Right that That's a great clarification and thanks for clarifying that before I got into this topic. But I'm still curious, what do you think is the role of uh, education in the process of fundraising? So do investors actually look at what sort of university did you go before starting a company? Do they check your GPA or do they do anything like that?
1: Well, they don't do anything that detailed. I wouldn't say they like check your GPA or check what classes you took, for example, (laughs) you know, with any, any major, you can take such a variety of classes that, you know, it's a very different experience and results in a very different kind of individual. Um, I wouldn't say that that is the, that, that would kind of go into that level of detail, but definitely being the CTO of a company, um, having, uh, uh, you know an academic background from uh you know a, a brandon university i think really helped i know there's different schools of thought on this you know for example peter teal's very famous for being uh you know quote anti college. um i don't you know i i don't want to put words in his mouth or anything but he does have some incredibly valid points that i would agree with and then uh my own personal experience is that it has been you know very helpful Definitely in terms of the rigor of my education to help build out technology, but also from the ability to, you know, add credibility to things that I'm saying or talking about or presenting um, when, you know, investing or or when trying to raise uh, money from investors.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of fundraising, we're going back to uh, what you said earlier, which is bootstrapping. Yeah. And uh, the, the unprecedented amount of money that you raised for radius intelligence. When did you decide this? And you know, when, when did you decide that it's the right time to fund race for radius intelligence? When was this point when you were like, okay, now it's time? We're going out to investors. We'll talk to them.
1: Great question. So, that I would say is when you discover your minimal, minimum viable product and you're, you have a process that's kind of repeating itself. Um, that's when I think it's a, a great uh, time to raise money because there you're, you have definite goals for where your money, uh, is going. You know, things like, oh, you know, the whole goal of building a, a business is that you want to build a machine where you put a dollar in and you get, mm-hmm. you know, an amount of dollars out. And so when you have that process and it doesn't have to be perfect, I don't think anybody has or very few individuals have gone through a, through that where it was perfect. And definitely we did not, but definitely when you're able to sign, you know, uh, if you're in the enterprise, obviously, if you're able to sign, you know, several large companies, several large names, and they're not, and they're using like a product, and it is productized, and they're all using the same product, and it's not custom solutions for each one, which you know is a common anti-pattern with enterprise businesses, uh, then I think it's a great time to, to to raise funding.
0: Right, that's a clear description of of this point where you should do this, and I love that. But in terms of raising intelligence, did you re really have any uh, customers when you decided to raise, or was it just MVP?
1: So Radius is a, a unique situation in that we didn't start. We didn't start with Radius, the company. We started out with Fwix, which was this location-based services app that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Completely different beast. You know, uh, it's a consumer application around location-based services. We built up over, you know, a four-year period. We built up an expertise around um, around location-based services and, and location in general, and around businesses. And we didn't actually find immediate success with uh, uh, with with those ideas with building out a consumer brand and a consumer application. Mm-hmm. And so we pivoted. We pivoted uh, to Radius, and we realized, you know, I think we actually took a meeting. Uh, with a very large company, I won't I won't name them, but we were in the meeting and we were trying to sell them on this on this uh, we were we were trying to build kind of like um, uh, a news network, a widget where you could present local news and then you could put like a little uh, local ad uh, in there. And mm-hmm. they uh, were like, "Oh, we love the idea, we'll do the deal." But immediately they were like, "Hey, you've got data on these businesses. Can you talk to our, like our sales and marketing department?" And we we're like, "Yeah, sure." And they're like, oh, we'll buy that data off of you for like a huge amount of money. And we were like, wait a mm-hmm. second, we're in the wrong business. We're, we're trying to generate demand for something. And here we are, like demand is on our doorstep. And uh-huh. so then uh, after pretty careful deliberation, we decided to, to pivot uh, into that space. And we were actually one of the first companies to do this thing called the consumer, consumerization of enterprise. And that was actually my, uh, my co-founder, Noah. Um, who's our chief product officer? He he really was on the forefront of that, and that really was his uh, his um, his brainchild.
0: That's really interesting. So you had two pivots for Reese, that two pivots prior to becoming Reese Intelligence, right?
1: Well, it depends on how you define define a pivot. During Fwix, we came up with like I lost count how many different product ideas we came <laughs> up with. Uh, that were all ultimately unsuccessful, uh, and it wasn't finally until we, we, I guess I would say one pivot because we, there we like you know changed the name of the company, changed the branding, changed kind of everything, changed the space, and uh, we went from you know location based services to
0: B two B SaaS,
1: which is a pretty pretty dramatic, uh, pretty dramatic
0: change. True, that's a pretty significant change. So. Uh, pivoting is something that's really important for founders and that many of them don't really understand. When's that point where you should not give up, but to you know, change something significantly? When was it that you understand that weeks must go and raise intelligence should appear?
1: Oh, that's, that's such a, you know, I don't, I don't think I have a one size fits all answer to that because in our case, we got really lucky. We got lucky in that clearly we were not getting demand for something which was FWIX, our kind of lo- location-based services products that we, we had built and our consumer applications that we had built. And then on the other hand, we were getting an enormous amount of demand for our data. Mm-hmm. And so it just became, you know, after we had gotten, I want to say like three or four of these data deals, uh, we realized that, uh, that uh, you know, clearly we needed to sell data into the enterprise. And obviously there were a lot of lessons lo- that had to happen in terms of selling raw data is not kind of a good business to be in it's better to productize that uh somehow and sell services which ultimately we did um but it it became obvious for us and it's a really difficult trade-off because you know you don't it, it's on one hand people are telling you like oh you got to stick with it you gotta if you believe in the vision you got to go through it and then on the other hand it's like you know a lot of a lot of the times, the, the vision that you start out with in any endeavor, what it ends up with is totally is totally different. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't really I, I don't have a I don't have a good honest answer. All I can share with you are, are my personal
0: experiences
1: around that specific uh, specific issue.
0: And that's a perfect answer to be honest. But I remember that during our pre-interview call, you mentioned that AirTM actually pivoted as well after multiple years of running, right?
1: Uh, well, uh, oh, the current, uh, company that I'm in, RTM. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it pivoted, uh, it more of, has been evolving. Uh, it's a little bit different in that it's expanding in terms of the services that we offer and, and the, the financial services, the financial services that we, that we ultimately offer. Um, mm-hmm. so it's not so much of a pivot as more of a, just an expansion in terms of, of the, the, you know, the financial services that are, that are being offered.
0: Got it. All right. We'll not go into that semi-pivot then too much, but I was curious. So I always like to ask uh, successful founders who sold their companies relatively recently, if they do angel investing and some advisory roles. So do you personally have any angel investments in startups or do you do any advisory role officially?
1: Uh, yes. So, uh, I've done, ad- uh, numerous advisory roles in the past. Um, and I've done, uh, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm like, an, I wouldn't label myself an angel investor, but I've definitely, uh, done a few angel investments.
0: Um, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a perfect answer. And I love it. But, Question is, so I personally think that successful founders are a great source of capital for younger entrepreneurs who are just starting, uh, you know, have never done anything before because, you know, it's both the source of capital and source of wisdom, basically. Uh, How should founders reach out to you asking to become their advisor or even asking to review their pitch deck or do basically anything for them?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm all, you know, and one of the reasons that I love my current role at air TM so much is that I mentor, uh, I do a lot of mentoring. Basically everybody, I, mentoring is, is a huge part of what motivates me. And, and I think it builds very strong relationships. It's a very good motivator for, uh, you know, people that you work with. And, uh, I think the best way is probably just LinkedIn. I think that's the best way to 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 reach out to basically anybody. Um, in terms of angel investing, I'm, you know, I guess I'll be honest. I mainly, I I think if I look at my record of angel investments, they're all done through my personal network. So Mm -hmm. mainly friends, other entrepreneurs that I've connected with over the years, I'm not one to take meetings and just do random angel investing. Um, not because I wouldn't like to, but mainly because, uh, you know, to really do due diligence, it takes a lot of time and, and being an entrepreneur myself right now, and also a father, it's just, uh, I don't have that, uh, I don't have that level of bandwidth to, to, to do the level of diligence I would want to, to be successful. So
0: angel investing does take time. So I know some yes. angel investors invest with their guts as people say, but to be honest, I have never met a single angel investor like that. So yeah, it definitely, definitely requires a lot of time and a lot of precise diligence, but let's move on to probably the last question of today's episode, which is a small call to action. Um, what would be your recommendation to a listener right now? Who, as soon as this episode is over, what's that one thing that you want the listener to do?
1: You know, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, uh, you know, I would say that uh, the number one thing to do is not give up. You know, stick uh, stick with your ideas and uh, learn and use every failure as a uh, as um, you know as a lesson. I think that for me that that helped me out the most. Um, in my career so far
0: absolutely and what's your advice you know I'll kind of continue this call to action thing uh, for specifically for engineers so a lot of my listeners are actually uh, with technical background somehow I'm not exactly sure how did this happen but you know it's the facts are the facts so what's your advice to those technical people who are uh, basically preparing to or whose companies are preparing to fundraise what's your advice to them
1: yeah, definitely. You know, I think for me, when I first started out my career, um, I guess for the lack of a better phrase, I, I kind of had my engineering blinders on, uh, you know, in like horse races where they put the blinders yeah. on the horses. So the horses yeah. are just focused. And I just uh, I frankly, the only thing I cared about was engineering, Um, Mm -hmm. and i was very focused on engineering and just being a better engineer and my, definitely my biggest growth, I've always been very strong technically, but my biggest growth as an individual over my entire career is everything not related to engineering. So for example, it was, uh, understanding and appreciated, appreciating the product and design process or learning really how to grow an organization and learn all those, uh, learn all about management and those skills or building out, uh, uh, Radius, for example, has t- taught me a tremendous amount about the sales and marketing processes. So I think really expanding your reach beyond engineering and 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 really diving deep into those different facets that are required to make a business successful is are super important for any any technical co-founder and any uh, any individual that wants to you know grow with their company. Uh, it's it's absolutely crucial.
0: Perfect. Your advice to technical people is much more precise. <laughs> I guess your bias towards them, but I don't judge you, and I definitely loved how you compared uh, technical people with the uh, racehorses. Uh, that's that's a wonderful comparison. <laughs> okay, <But> thank you. <laughs> we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Adrian, for coming up. I know you have an extremely busy schedule, and I really appreciate that you took time to share your experience uh, on fundraising and on company building. I think that was a great one
1: thank you so much and thanks for having me